Hey, good day, everyone. Hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Bob Roberts. I'm an aerospace education officer with the Civil Air Patrol here in Greenville, South Carolina. Now, our guest today is a pilot with a focus on general aviation, and he has an engaging YouTube channel called Over 50 and Learning to Fly. Now, I have a link to that channel down below. Now, without any more discussion, let's go ahead and bring on our guest. His name is Ted Greenfield. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure, and it's a real pleasure to meet you as well. Yeah, Ted, it was really, I was really happy to have you. You actually got a recommendation. Um, so, uh, Nancy, uh, Bradshaw, I'm not sure if you know who she is. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. I know Nancy. Yeah. Nancy, uh, I was talking to her, uh, last week or the week before and Nancy was like, Hey, you should have Ted on. And I said, all right. I said, I follow his channel. I said, I'm one of his subscribers. I said, I'll, I'll reach out to Ted. And, well, uh, Nancy, you know, Nancy is just, we started our YouTube channels at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, uh, you know, and then, you know, I started looking at all the other YouTubers and I just reached out to her and I'm like, Hey, you're awesome. <laughs> you're, just, <laughs> right. you're, you're awesome. And we just kind of struck up a, we've never met in person, but we've struck up a friendship. And I said, let's do a program together. And we did a program together about, um, you know, about finding good flight instructors. And I had a really bad experience with, uh, with one instrument instructor who I, you know, fired after the first day oh. and I called her up and I said, what do you think? You're an instrument instructor. And she's, you know, she was horrified from what she heard, and, you know, but we've struck up a really interesting friendship. And I tell you, I am, I am so proud of her just as a person, as a pilot. She, um, you know, she just got type rated in the 747. So cool. Um, she is, um, you know, she's the type of person that just steps on the gas in life, you know, and, yep. and uh, I have, uh, I, you know, I'm looking forward to the one day I meet her, but we, you know, we kind of chat here and there and uh, we're very supportive of each other's channels. So I was really thrilled when, uh, you know, when I got your, um, when I got your email. Yeah. When, um, uh, you know, someday when this whole COVID thing, uh, you know, wraps up and we can all get back to our, our, our version of normals, um, you know, hopefully someday like Nancy yourself and, you know, maybe we can get a, you know, can stop off at uh, Oshkosh some year or something like that and meet up, get a, get a nice burger Yeah, what something. I'd love to do, and I even brought this up, I said, hey, I mean, booths at Oshkosh are pretty pricey, but I said, yeah. why don't, you know, why don't we put a whole bunch of the YouTubers together yeah. and just buy, go in on a booth I'm and, in, just, man. you know, just be there to meet and greet, encourage, to answer questions and, um, you know, to really expand, you know, our aviation world and everybody else's aviation world. Yep. Dude, I am so in on that. I can't even tell you. I could do a little interview thing on the side. People could come over. We could do live interviews at Oshkosh. Oh man, I'm all in. So yeah, I mean, I you know, and, and I think if a group of us get together and ship in, you know, mm -hmm. it'll be um, you know, it'll be uh, manageable as well as um, you know, aviation at its core is a community. It is. And, um, you know, I, I can't, you know, all the people that I've met through YouTube and, um, uh, you know, and just landing, landing at different airports, people who've seen my channel and you gotta, you get this whole community with, you know, with this. So it's, um, you know, it would do nothing but to, uh, enhance that, you know? Yeah, no, dude, I'm already imagining like what we could do in the booth and like, yeah. you know, and if you've got a bunch of people, you know, you know, each of us may have say 30, 40, 50,000 or whatever, you know, people that, that, you know, watch our videos, but, um, you get a whole group of us together, you know, I, I think we'd have a pretty good audience there too. So, um, yeah. and you know, we could, we could make sure different people were at the booth at different times. Um, so yeah, man, I'm, I'm in on that. Um, so let's, let's, let's back up a little bit. So when did you actually start? Cause you say starting to fly at 50, right? So, um, 
did you actually start learning to fly when you were in your fifties or? Well, I started learning to fly when I was 16 and um, <laughs> I was in high school and I, um, I had taken the, I had taken some flying lessons and the back when I was 16, 17, there was a giant struggle. Was I going to be a pilot or was I going to be the backup bass player for Rush? You know, I mean, <laughs> Dude, right? you, know? you go. I'm ready to go. Right, right, exactly. You know, so was I going to be a, you know, a great bass player and all that? And I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, distractions of teenage life, you yeah. know, uh, took over. And then when I was in my 20s, I kind of leaned into it again. And I was in um, just out of college. And then, you know, I was overwhelmed with the expense of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had tried a few times. And, you know, maybe I've got, maybe I had 20 hours and I probably had about 5,000 hours in Microsoft Flight Simulator over the years. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, then you reach this state, you know, and I always have a passion for aviation and, and I was, uh, I'm an online uh, e-learning developer, a multimedia producer, and um, I, uh, I've been in the government, but then I ended up, you know, transitioning over to the FAA, developing online training for them. And I was in my early 50s and it just, hit me is like, what's going on? Why aren't you, you doing this? Because there's something that happens in your fifties. You're, you're kind of, you, I hate that word retirement, but you're starting yeah. to think about that next phase of life and what that's going to look like. And, um, you know, my dad lived into his nineties. He, oh, uh, he was a doctor. He was, you know, he always had things to look forward to. He, when he quit, uh, when he retired from being a doctor, he went into, um, he became a, a photographer and an artist and he was in galleries and his artwork was just amazing. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of my model. And that's, you know, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I, you know, I was still a musician and I was playing in a lot of Christian worship bands. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just kind of transition into producing music. And I thought, eh, you know, but then um, it was Christmas. It was, I think it was December 20th, uh, 2016. And um, I was down in North Carolina and I just, I don't know, I, I, there was a banner up there and it said, learn to fly at OBX airplanes. And it just hit me. I said, you know what? This is ridiculous. If I don't do this now, I'm never going to get it done. So I took a discovery flight and I just, I remember I landed that little Cessna 150 and I'm like, I'm 110% in right then and there. So um, I, uh, I, I just, you know, and I got along well, really well with my instructor and, you know, and we became actually friends and, and that's Jenny Hawk from OBX airplanes. And if you're down in the outer banks area, um, yeah, I don't think she's doing a whole lot of flight training anymore, but they, they have a wonderful, they have biplane rides and they have, uh, you know, uh, aerial tours and things like that, but they were really uh, wonderful people down there. And um, so I just decided, and I made that decision 110%, I've got to get my pilot's license. And um, it's just, you know, it's kind of like a landmark thing. But when um, it really changed when I soloed mm -hmm. and my solo changed my life. And that's what I would that's what I will tell everybody, because um, I remember I was, you know, taxiing around and I had about 10 hours and the instructor, Jenny, she just goes, OK, taxi over here for a bit. And I thought that was kind of odd. what do you want me to do? So she has me taxi over by the hangar and the engine's running and she just goes, all right, I want you to do three or four laps in the pattern. And she just gets out of the plane and slams, and <laughs> slams the door, right? And I'm like, you got to come with me. And she goes, she just points, you know, and she's just like, you, in the airplane now. So and, you didn't um, even know it was about to happen. I had no idea. I had no idea. And I was, I can't tell you, here I was at 52 or 53, mm -hmm. 
freaked out and I'm just sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, okay. And then you're at a little 150, you know, I'm like, okay, flaps, what do I do? What do I do? Yep. The moment that plane lifted off, my life changed yep. because, um, you know, here I was and I, I was just doing laps in the pattern and it just dawned on me. It, it all came to me like a flood. It's like, you can do this. This is your next phase of life. And as I'm doing like four or five laps in the pattern, it just all came from, hey, you got to get your instrument, you can get your commercial, you can buy a plane, and you can become a mission pilot. Yep. And, um, you know, and then you could do this, you can even become a flight instructor, you can even sell airplanes, you, you know, and all it's going to take is a couple of years of training to get, you know, to get up and down and you've got the money for it. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not where you're in your 20s again. So I, I probably did more than five or four or five laps in the pattern. Um, I, I, you know, I probably almost came close to running the tank stride because I was just do, doing loops. But my life changed at that solo and I just was 110% in. And it was a real life, um, you know, a life convergence because everything kind of worked in at once. My video skills, my multimedia skills. I was at the FAA. I was in safety promotion. I was teaching safety classes. And then before I knew it, I was a pilot. I got my private, uh, my, um, I was signed off in about four months after mm -hmm. doing that. I, um, then I went out, ran out, bought an airplane. Um, and uh, I just, I just started flying. I got the best advice I got after I did my privates was get about a hundred, 150 hours of VFR time before you do your instrument. Mm -hmm. And um, I tried a couple of different instructors with my instrument because uh, I'm a high maintenance learner. And, um, you know, and the instrument, uh, your instrument uh, ticket is tough. It's not an easy, right. you know, it's not an easy thing. So um, I, uh, uh, I did that at about 250 hours, I think. And um, I took three or four weeks off of work, came down to Florida with uh, an instructor that I'm still very good friends with now. And I did my instrument and then I just flew, I think the first year, I think I flew 150 instrument approaches oh, wow. and I just stepped on the gas with this. I got, I upgraded my Cessna Cardinal uh, to uh, two G5s, uh, GTN 355, uh, the, the uh, 335 transponder and um, I'm sorry, the 335 GTN and the 355 transponder and I upgraded, you know, all the electronics in it. And uh, then I went ahead to get my commercial. And uh, I got my commercial in March, or uh, I got my commercial in May of this year. Congratulations. And I'm around 700 and change hours now. All right. So, so much good stuff. So one, so I want to go back. So you said you were a high maintenance learner. So what does that mean? Um, I, my background is in education. I used to be a teacher. Okay. Uh, I was a classroom teacher years ago and, uh, you know, and I develop online education. So I'm all yeah. kind of about this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to tell you how to do it. And you're going to kind of figure that out. And then at the end, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to review. Sure. And a lot of instructors, um, you know, just kind of throw you into it. Uh, I have a really, I, I, my learning style of, is I've don't in, don't give me all the facts. I've got to just do it first and then I can review with the facts. So right. if we're, you know, if we're doing points around a turn or let's say if we're, you know, doing the approaches, let's say do, take a, you know, shooting an ILS approach, um, explain to me. First, we're going to intercept the localizer. Then we're going to establish ourselves on the localizer and the glide path. Then we're going to, you know, 
We're going to stabilize our approach while it's on the localizer and glide path. Then you're going to, you know, and, um, you know, and I need to be kind of walked in what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, because um, I need to take things very slowly in a sequence. And then you can start adding on the facts and dumping all the knowledge. So, right. you know, so I have to get, get into it a little slowly. And, um, and I, one thing about my learning style is I get overwhelmed um, at first a little easy. I'm like, whoa, what's, you know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I, I remember one time I was shooting the DME arc into Lakeland, Florida. And it was an IFR day. I was, you know, I was in the foggles and man, I just got behind the airplane and I'm just like, boom, it just all fell apart. And I looked and man, my, my little Cessna, I did an Cessna 150 is like 60 degrees. I'm way, I'm like, you know, and I, I'm like, I go, I, I just, I just said, it all fell apart. What do I do? And he goes, you're the pilot. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And I just, you know, blew off the approach. I canceled the approach. Right. I, you know, requested to go around and I came back and did it again. So, um, you know, it's a lot of stuff that's happening. I think that, um, you know, the reality of learning, you know, at, at that, you know, you're, you're learning a lot of high volume stuff mm-hmm. and that in your fifties, your brain's not accustomed to it. You know, and it takes some time because you're not a 25 year old sponge or a 17 year old sponge anymore. So, you know, as a learner, um, you really have to prepare yourself for it. Um, and take your time and also realize and you know it's okay to have learning mistakes it's okay to you know to you got to get into a groove with your instructor and um, you know and that's what I really kind of mean by being a high maintenance pilot because it's 17 25 you're like yeah whatever okay do it all right I'll figure it out yeah that's cool and you can go and debrief the flight it all kind of filters in and you got it well you know in your 50s a little bit of a control freak you Mm -hmm. know you're (laughs) you know what I mean it's just you know whoa whoa this isn't how it used to happening but at all that being said, it is so good for your mental acuity and your brain health um, and to, uh, you know, keep yourself fresh because it, it, it's when I went through my instrument training and my commercial, it's like this new light in my brain went on again. And like I started being able to think like I was not that 50, you mid 50s is old, but I started to be able to um, do really quick math calculations in my head. You know, and just, you know, all right, you're going 120 miles an hour for four minutes. All right, that's eight miles, you know, just, you know, just really kind of, you know, and, and, um, uh, and, and that's where, um, you know, that's where as far as an over 50 learner needs to at least know it's there and, um, you know, get your brain back in shape because your brain's a muscle. Yeah. So, so we're, I want to ask you another question um, about the, you know, differences between learning after 50, but one thing before then is for folks that are going to start learning, um, you know, at, at the second, you know, a second phase of life, so to speak, do, do you recommend that they do their ground school first, um, before they, you know, really start, I, I, I always say, at least get into the airplane, you know, make sure you're not going to hate it. But, um, but do you recommend folks to kind of do that book work in advance? Well, yeah. And the, the one thing is that's exactly right. Get into the airplane, make sure you're not going to hate it. Make sure things like you're going to f- simple things like number one, you're not going to feel ill or get nauseous. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, make sure I had a couple emails from people that were big, big guys. And they're like, I can't fit into the airplane. That's <laughs> a big deal. You know, I mean, you know, so you may, you know, so yeah, get about 10 hours, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that you can, that you like it. Make sure that this is something that you're really, be, you're really going to be into because once you get into this, it does require 150 to 200 percent of your, you know, your focus. It requires right. you got to be all in on this. Um, 
and I've talked with a couple other pilots who were, you know, who have like 120 hours and they don't even have their, you know, their, their private certificate yet. You know, I'm like, well, what happened? You know, so, <laughs> you know, um, so, um, but yeah, so, you know, get about 10, 15 hours to make sure that you're re ready to do it. And the way uh, I did is that I got about 30 hours into it. And then I took the month of February off and uh, from flight training and i just did jason shepherd's and zero a ground school okay. and i scheduled my test and i just planned it out like it was a work project so i said all right three weeks for ground school one week for study and instrument and exam prep and and then i scheduled the test i scheduled the test a month out and then i just treated it like a job so i had you know i think it was a couple hours a day you know so you know but the one thing is i stopped everything just to get the the ticket out of the way and then, um, you know, and then that was done. It was all, it was all done. It wasn't hanging over my head. So then when I went on to do my instrument, the first thing I did was I didn't even, you know, I was shooting approaches and stuff and flight simulator and everything, but I just stopped and I practiced on that instrument exam because the one thing that instrument exam is tough mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it can't be soon enough before they phase out all the VORs. I still hate <laughs> VORs, <laughs> but you know, you gotta know this stuff and, um, you gotta know it cold and, um, you know, so do the instrument exam before you start your training, because then, then at that piece, uh, it's out of the way. And once, uh, uh, an instructor said, you'll never have to see that exam again. And I, you know, and that exam almost killed me. It was tough. I, I think I got an 86. 83 on it or uh that's still pretty good you know um but yeah but it was you know it, it was it was respectable i mean mm -hmm. um and i'm not a good test taker anyway so yeah that's that's my exam for your for your privates make sure you love this stuff and then get the exam out of the way yeah sometime um uh, later on over over a, a burger or something i'll tell you my story I, I got to fly a 150 like one time um and just you can't tell because we're on video but i'm six foot eight 300 pounds <laughs> So, <laughs> so, you know, it, it really, it was like a clown car, you know, <laughs> I, I, right. And I, I've had emails from people like, you know, that, you know, that like you can't, I mean, I did my instrument training in a 150, um, just because, uh, just because I did it and it worked out price wise and stuff and my plane wasn't ready yet, but 150 is a small plane, you know, <laughs> it's right. It's great though. If you can, if it works for you, it's, it's awesome. So yeah. <laughs> it doesn't burn any gas. You right. <laughs> and, and that's one of the reasons where, you know, I was upgrading my plane and I was putting about maybe 25,000 into my plane, mm -hmm. which is a lot of money. But, um, you know, it just wasn't ready and the timing didn't work out. So I was like, you know what, I'll just do it in the 150. And, um, you know, I know the airplane and also it's best to go back to bare bones during these things. I agree. And, um, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, I aced my check ride. I aced my instrument check ride. I, I, you know, I was so proud of myself. So happy. My DPE was like, you did a really, really good job. So um, oh, you love hearing that. Yeah. Now you got your commercial, um, you know, relatively recently. Why did you, what was the emphasis for going for the commercial? Are you looking to be, a, cause you said you were an educator, um, you know, and you were kind of in that field. Are you looking to be a CFI at some point or? No, I'm not looking to be a CFI, but what, um, there, it was, there was two things with it. Number one, it's that last professional piece. Mm -hmm. You know, you might as well get your commercial because it's that professional ticket where really in the big scheme of things, the commercial rating allows you to get a job, right? That's all the commercial rating really does. Um, however, um, the maneuvers were fun. You do need to, you do need to have absolute hundred percent command authority over the aircraft and know how to do that. 
um, you know, from everything from emergencies to uh, to landing in rough conditions and just to, you know, landing the plane. But also what I want to do and what my personal plan is uh, moving forward is I'm going to need the commercial rating for being a mission pilot. I'd like to be I'd like to be hired out as a commercial pilot as well. Now, what do you mean by um, mission pilot? Well, I, I work with it or I, I volunteer with an organization right now called Harvest Aviation, and they're okay. a 501c3 that's based in Wachula, Florida. And uh, their primary mission is delivering supplies to Belize and Honduras um, awesome. and uh, everything from medical supplies to, uh, to church supplies to personnel sometimes. And I've done a few mission flights with them. Um, we did a few to the Bahamas uh, during the disaster relief. And that is a really, that's an area that I really want to focus in and um, volunteer my time post, uh, you know, post work life. Mm -hmm. And um, I, again, I'd say I don't like that word retirement, but, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's something I want to do uh, because so much out in the missionary field depends on aviation because let's say, and the question is, let's say you have, you know, 2000 pounds of medical supplies that has to get down to Belize. Well, if you ship that UPS, number one, it's going to cost about $10,000 to, and, and then number two is it needs to go to these remote parts of, you know, these, these countries. It's just not going to get there in a decent, you know, in a decent amount of time versus you could put 2000 pounds on a Piper Navajo um, or let's say, I'm sorry, let me back that up. Let's say you put about, you know, 1100 pounds on a Piper Navajo. You could get that to a rural community in Belize in three or four hours for about $2,200. Mm -hmm. And uh, the price per pound, you, you know, it, it can't get any cheaper than that. But also you make sure that these supplies and these goods get into the hands of the people who actually need them. And I've done that several times. And actually to see when you're, you know, when you're at the airport and the people actually come and get these things um, or even, you know, um, make sure when we did a few flights to the Bahamas, you know, their their names and addresses are on the packages. These people come and get their stuff, you know, and it's, you know, Belize, Bahamas, they don't have Home Depot. They don't right. have, um, you know, medical supply centers. They don't, you know, so I mean, simple things that we can run to Home Depot or, uh, you know, a health center, uh, gauze, bandages, uh, syringes, you know, these, you know, oxygen containers, as well as just, um, you know, plywood. Um, you know, you just can't get these things in rural, you know, in rural parts of uh, Belize or Honduras or the Bahamas. And putting them on a, a small plane and getting them there is, um, uh, you know, is, is really, um, is really cost effective. And it's extremely efficient. And, um, you know, there's plenty of people here that own airplanes and, you know, and can afford to do this stuff. And, um, you know, it's a great way to, you know, help out and share. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I had the luxury of speaking to Ryan Farron recently and, uh, he flies missionary, um, uh, flights in Papua New Guinea. And, um, he, you know, he talks about exactly what you just talked about. So I think that you're going to find, you've already done some of these flights. So I think you're going to find a real calling for that. It seems like anybody who gets into, that type of flying, you know, for those of you in general aviation, flying an airplane is fun. It's life-changing. Put a mission next to it and it becomes just part of who you are. Like it just, it's a light switch, frankly, I think for so well, many people. Right. And that's the biggest thing that I've seen. Um, I, and I, I guess I'll like go ahead and be pretty blunt here and, and, and use the word retirement failures. 
because I've seen people get into retirement and they don't have a mission. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be flying. It could be, you know, it, it, it could be art. It could be, you know, God gave us passions and abilities and skills. We all have them. And, um, you know, and, you know, when, when we get into this phase of life, it's really important that number one, we're still young. Mm -hmm. um, and then number two is that you step on the gas on those abilities because it will enhance your life, but also you need a mission driven life, whatever mm -hmm. that is. It doesn't have to be airplanes. My, you know, I was a musician for years and that was, you know, that was, um, you know, that was a huge focus of mine. Um, but this is, you know, this is kind of shifted it where um, I, um, I'm actually uh, really interested in, um, you know, in personnel transport for, um, uh, you know, for medical purposes, mm -hmm. or let's say if people, you know, are in a jam and they need a lawyer and their lawyer happens to be in Miami, I could go pick that person in Miami up and take him to Tampa. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an hour and a half flight in my plane. And, you know, I'm not going to charge anything for that. Um, you know, but, you know, getting around in small aircraft is, uh, you know, it's a huge time saver. It's incredibly cost effective, even in this country. And then even when we have disasters here, um, you know, we had several hurricanes where, you know, it wipes out areas. Well, you know, um, you know, we could have everything from cleaning supplies, you know, and you can load that up in a Cessna 172. You can put 500 pounds right. of Clorox and wipes and towels and, you know, and plywood and things like that in 172 and get it to a rural community within an hour or two where, you know, if roads are out and trucks are, you know, can't get in, that's still a viable um, and a much needed resource here. And as a pilot, you can really volunteer your time. Um, as well. And, and I know tons of pilots and I fly for pilots and paws as well. And we've rescued a few dogs. In fact, I've got a couple, I've got a program on one of my, on my channel uh, called puppy rescue. And I tell you, that is so incredibly cool and rewarding is rescuing these dogs. Um, I, the last, my last flight, I, uh, there was a pregnant lab who had been shot and she was about, oh, wow. you know, she was about a, a week before giving birth. And she was up in Georgia at a high kill shelter. And and they needed a pilots and paws put a you know put a thing out. And they needed a pilot to go get her and bring her down to a, a, a foster home in Tampa. So I went to Georgia, popped the dog, and put her in my back of my plane. And this old lab was just like just a pregnant old lab. Just get me. I gotta have these babies <laughs> out. You know? But yeah, so you need a mission for your life, mm -hmm. and that's my you know that's my um, uh, my main message on that. Yeah, I also think that that's also a good way of you know living a good healthy long life too yeah um, I, you know it's, you talk about, about music um you, you, you know i talked about before we started about uh, uh music and i showed you, you know, i got the guitar and you know i play music yeah. too um but i'm always amazed and i saw a study on this one time about how um you know really when i say elderly i mean like in their 90s right yeah um you know classical musicians and they will play in orchestras into their mid nineties. And they've shown that like these classical musicians, they tend to outlive their peers by like 10 years. And yeah. they try to figure out why. And they said, one of the reasons they think and who knows, but you know, one of the reasons they think is because they, they have a mission. They've got a concert in three months. They, you know, yeah. they've, they've, you know, their mind is like, I got to get there. I got to get that. You know, I got to get to that concert, you know? Um, and I, you know, I was, I was having, I was having coffee with my dad, you know, like a couple of months before he died. And, you know, we were just chatting and he was, he was in his nineties and he was 
fine. He was driving. Yep. He was, we had lost my mom, you know, about 10 years before, but he was dating. Uh, he had a nice girlfriend and, um, uh, you know, my sister was all freaked out because she's like, is he going to get married again? No, he's not going to get married again. You know, <laughs> the ni- uh, the but, 90 yeah, year old, worry about it. You know, the 90 year old like, dad's got the Tinder profile. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, it's like, but, um, you know, he, he made this comment that I just thought was so cool. He goes, you know, I still have so much to look forward to. Right. So let's go. And, you know, and then he's like, let's go to this fish market and, you know, and, and make a really nice lunch with, you know, get this fresh tuna or something. And every day he was like that. And he was, um, you know, he, his art is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's still, you know, we're still, uh, it's online still. It's at georgebgreenfield.com, all one word. But, um, you know, we want to make his artwork available for doctor's offices all over the world for free, um, just because, that was his passion. And in the doctor's office, I've been, they need decent artwork. So (laughs) now, um, you know, we, let's, we're talking about taking, you know, kind of taking care of yourself. Right. So, um, obviously when you're 50, it's different than 20. Right. But again, you know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on the door on 50 myself pretty soon here. So, um, I used to think that, uh, that man 50 was like ancient people, you know, and now the closer I get to it, I feel like I'm still a teenager and I'm like, you know, 50, where'd that number come from? But, but you're right. Slowly, some things you got to start doing different things to take care of yourself. So what what do you, so if somebody's going to get into aviation and they're in their fifties, what are some things that they really should be looking at? Well, you know, and it's, it's, it's timely that you, you said that because uh, my next program uh, that I'm doing on my channel is called what happens when you get sick. Mm -hmm. And um, number one, you need to take care of yourself because you're not 25 anymore. And not that 50 is old, I have a program on my uh, on my channel that I did just last month called "You're Not Too Old," and you know you look at the you look at the people who are really you know in our generation who are just and I always go to musicians, but you know think about it. Daryl Hall is 74 years old. Yeah, the guy looks awesome too. John Oates, I met John Oates. I saw him at a concert. And I just went backstage and met him. I was like, I just got to meet this guy, you know. So I just kind of you know. And, um, you know, wonderful guy said, I don't mean to be rude. I just want to thank you. And just, you're awesome. Mm -hmm. He's 72. The guy Mm -hmm. looks fabulous. Um, Lauren Michaels, producer of Saturday Night Live, produces all these stuff. He's 74. So, um, you know, Harrison Ford, 77. Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney. I mean, these, all these guys are in their seventies and they're still out there working. They look wonderful. So the one thing is that you've got to take care of yourself and, um, I just, uh, I, I just actually, unfortunately, I was in the hospital over Thanksgiving with diverticulitis. I, um, you know, I, my stomach had been bothering me for a few weeks and, you know, I just thought, well, um, you know, I, you know, I gotta, you know, go see a, a, um, a GI about it and just really adjust my eating. Well, it caught up with me before I can get to the doctor. And I ended up, was in the hospital for three days with diverticulitis. It was really serious. And, um, I, you know, in fact, uh, I was grounded. I grounded myself. I wasn't mm-hmm. medically grounded, but, um, you know, I grounded myself for about a month um, because um, I just, I didn't feel right. And, um, but it, you know, now as I'm starting to feel better, there has to be a diet change. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't, you, you can't um, abuse your body uh, because, you know, your body's got a, you know, finite time on it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just, you know, it's it just, you know, that's just the reality of it. And if you take care of it, it's, you know, it's going to serve you well. But, um, the one thing is that you gotta, 
number one, you got to exercise and it doesn't mean working out. I hate working out. Mm -hmm. I tried lifting weights. They're too heavy. I, you know, I don't run because no one's chasing me. But the (laughs) one thing is that um, all it takes is walking and I Mm -hmm. walk between two and four miles a day. And um, it's just, um, you just got to keep moving and you don't have to, if you don't like to work out or whatever, weight training, which I hate, all you do is walk or ride a bike for a couple, maybe an hour a day, Mm -hmm. keep it moving. And then if you have a weight issue, you've got to watch that because, um, you know, your body changes, we carry weight differently and I'm not a health nut. I'm certainly not a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you could stand to lose 20 pounds, just go ahead and lose it. If you could stand to lose 30 or more, do something about that because your your body is working, you know, twice as hard as it should just to, you know, just to kind of perform normal functions. And you really have to watch your diet. I know with me, I have to have a complete diet change. I would pride myself on being in my mid fifties and being able to sit down and eat a full pizza all by myself mm-hmm. and not have a problem. Well, those days are over. Um, I used to love my big steaks with Bernays sauce. Sorry, those days are over. So um, I've really got to put myself on a diet change and it's been about a month so far. And, um, you know, I feel fantastic, but I've got to keep feeling fantastic. So you really have to watch yourself and little things like I've gotten a few emails about people who've had high blood pressure. Well, you could change that with diet and exercise. Mm -hmm. And then the biggest thing that I noticed personally um, was uh, when I started flying about four years ago, um, about three, four years ago, at the same time, I quit drinking. And I wasn't drinking a lot or anything. It was certainly wasn't a problem, but I had just noticed that alcohol was affecting me differently. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna stop. And it wasn't really, it didn't really require any effort or anything like that. But the one thing um, I was, you know, maybe glass of wine every, every week, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that. And then when I'd get together with friends, you know, you'd, you'd have a few glasses of wine and stuff like that. And, and all that, but your body can't handle that anymore. Um, and also the weight gain from alcohol is really, um, it, it, it's a lot, how much uh, a couple of beers a day will, you know, that will put 15, 20 pounds on you like that. And if you stop that, that weight will come off. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've stopped um, drinking, I've noticed that overall my health has been better. I've slept better, um, you know, and that's one thing, um, you know, sleeping is really, really important um, to up that sleep. Sometimes you may need, you know, eight, nine hours. Some people don't. Some people, you know, are good with, you know, five or six. I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. But the one thing is really focus on your health because you, you know, um, as we get older, you won't bounce back like you're in your 20s. And then the bottom line is if you're sick, you can't fly. So right. if you're sick and you have high blood pressure and you're on high blood pressure meds, you, you know, those might not be on the no fly list, you know, those, those meds. So you could, you could make those necessary changes with diet and exercise. You don't need to load yourself up with pills. And I'm not saying go to, you know, go to some, uh, you know, go, go, go out to some, you know, camp in California where you're talking to trees and you'll be all better, you know, <laughs> but, um, you but, go, you you go know, into the tent with the smoke. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and it's like, you know, now you communicate with the bears. But, um, you know, the one thing is that focus in on that health because you'll, you'll feel better. 
You don't need to be loaded up with meds. I think that um, the health is so important because, you know, if you're sick, you can't fly. Um, but also everyone's living longer now. And, mm -hmm. you know, look at, you know, look at our, I mean, and not to get political at all. I, I don't sure. want to do that, but look at, you know, the, the politicians that we have, um, you know, these guys are in their seventies. Yeah. Late seventies. You know? And, you know, and <laughs> I think 70, you know, when, when we were in our twenties, 70 was old. Well, 70 is not old right now. Not right. if Mick Jagger's doing his thing. Paul McCartney's still touring at 77. Billy Joel is 70, you know right. I mean? Um, you know, so I, I think that, um, you know, we're going to be living into our nineties and we right. can have a healthy life, but, um, you know, we don't want to end up in our nineties in a scooter. And, <laughs> that's right. Right. And that's the, that's really, um, you know, uh, I, I'm pretty serious about that because, uh, and again, to go to musicians, you know, Phil Collins is Phil Collins. He's wonderful, mm -hmm. but his health isn't that good. Right. And I don't know if you've seen him lately, but he's got, you know, bad arthritis and, you know, and it's like, you know, and, um, you know, I, I mean, um, you know, you don't want to be hard on our body. So, you know, you don't want to, and I, you know, like I see people in scooters and I'm like, oh, come on, that's, you know, they're, they're, they're 200 pounds overweight. Well, that, you right. know, that you could have done something about, you know, maybe 15 years ago or 10 years right. ago. And we don't, we got to really watch that because I think that we can all be functioning happy pilots well into our seventies. Right. And um, Harrison Ford's still working at 77 and he's, you know, still flying around. Morgan Freeman's a pilot. Kurt Russell's in his 70s and yep. he has a TDM, you know. So, um, you know, I, I really want to focus and, and um, you know, say, you know, please pay attention to your health. Uh, get out. And it doesn't take much diet and exercise. And you don't have to go to a gym. I don't I don't want to go to a gym. I wouldn't want to go to a gym ever. But I get up <laughs> and I walk four miles a day. Um, on a beautiful nature park, or I get on a bike and ride for, you know, an hour and, and it's just wonderful. Yeah. You know, it, it's, you talk about flying later, you know, in life, they, um, we have a pilot here in civil air patrol and absolutely incredible individual. I won't say his name, but absolutely incredible individual. And he's, he just turned 80. Yeah. And you talk to him, he's as sharp as he's smarter than I am, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, and he, he's in great health. Yeah, you know, I think he just he just had to have a, a hip or a knee or something like that, you know, um, surgery. But uh, but yeah, but the exception of that guy looks like he can go out and play rugby. <laughs> so. Right, and the, and the thing is, and it's all up here, you know. Mm -hmm. It's all, um, you know, it's all on uh, on on your attitude, on your outlook, and uh, you know, your health comes from the inside out. Right. Yeah. No, just gotta keep yourself active, like you said, and giving yourself that mission. Um, yeah. Now I want to talk about your airplane a little bit. So, um, what type of you you bought an airplane? So, what did you buy? I bought a Cessna Cardinal, a 1968 Cessna Cardinal, and I, you know, I I have had a a, a ton of experience with boats in my life, and I've you know I've had a bunch of boats, and um, so I always equate it to you know to owning a you know to owning a bigger boat. So I I you know was kind of cautious going into it, and I said, well, you know, here's my kind of initial budget. And I wanted a, I wanted an escape hatch. I wanted, you know, a parachute to say, hey, if I don't like plane ownership, I just want to be able to get out of this thing. Mm -hmm. So I came up with a budget of around thirty-eight, forty thousand dollars. You know, I said that's what, wow. you know, that's what I can buy. So I bought this Cessna Cardinal. I found it on Trade a Plane, and in all honesty, it was almost a piece of crap. That's <laughs> that's what the uh, that's what the mechanic said. He said. It's almost a piece of crap. It's worth 38 grand. It's a good airplane, but you're right. going to have to upgrade it. And I said, my mission here with buying this airplane is 
put 100 hours on it, fly it around, get my VFR time. If I love it, I'm going to upgrade it yep. or I'll just buy another plane. And it was kind of that, you know, put your foot in the water a little bit. I got in that plane in, in two minutes. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I've nice. got it, you know. And um, so I flew it. Um, it was, and you can see the videos on my channel. Mm -hmm. I pretty much, you know, walk you through, um, you know, the upgrades and everything. But um, it was, you know, it was VFR at first. It uh, the engine was fine, the airframe was fine. Um, you know, the radio. I had like an, an old Apollo, uh, you know, GPS that didn't it didn't really yeah. work. And you know, it, <laughs> I don't even think they upgraded it, but the the radio worked in it. My attitude indicator had Parkinson's, you know, so it was kind of, <laughs> you know. And then at the end, it started spinning around one day. I'm like, okay, this thing needs to go, you know. Thus the um, G5s, probably. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I really flew it until everything broke. You know, wow. I mean, just and but the one thing is I just put about 100, 150 hours onto it and it was around the D.C. area. So I just, you know, I just flew it. I just flew as much as I can every minute I can and got to know about airplane ownership and then set up myself with a budget, educated myself on what needs to happen. And then um, I took the plane down to a mechanic in Florida and uh and then I just, I put in two G5s, a new transponder. I refurbished the KX-155. And, um, and then through a couple of annuals, I just had a lot of work done where I was like, you know what, fix it, just fix it. Right. And I, I got into that because I, I wanted a bunch of old, all the old wiring removed. Yep. So I did spend a little bit too much, but then that was all really because of peace of mind. Um, you know, I, I'm in the safety business at work. So, um, you know, spending an extra 1500 or $2,000 just to make sure it's done right. Didn't really, I didn't have a problem with it and more so for the next owner of the plane. So I know that when I do mm -hmm. sell it, um, you know, that these things have been taken care of. And then I upgraded, um, this year I upgraded all the lights to led lights mm -hmm. and, um, and I love the airplane. It served me so well. I, um, it really, um, I put about maybe 25,000 in upgrades over it. And then my maintenance has been about maybe $3,000 a year on top of that. That's not too bad. Um, it's not too bad. But then when I, you know, then it's like, you know, then it's like, all right, change the tires. Let's just get these things fixed. So I don't have to think about it, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and also it's just, um, you know, it's done. I don't need to worry about it. Um, you know, go ahead, you know, let these rotors need to be fixed, the brakes. So, you know, a couple of them were, a couple of repairs were a little pricey, but at the end of the day, um, during the, um, I don't want to say close calls, but during those uh, urgent events, let's say I did have a, uh, an alternator failure um, and uh, then all the, uh, my whole power stack went out. Yep. And you know, so uh, Squawk 7600, lost comms, everything like that, but everything, everything was fine. But knowing that, all right, the brakes are going to work. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any other issues, no electrical issues. And um, that is such a peace of mind. And when you land, uh, when you land safety after any kind of event, that peace of mind, you don't care what it costs and right. it's worth it, you know. And you also had uh, installed the G5s um, by then. So when you had, um, I want people to go watch that video. So I'm not going to spoil it for folks. But the, but the G5s they have their own battery, and they they were they were they were still on. So yeah. I had my airspeed, my you know I had all my you know primary six pack instruments, and um, and then um, the first thing I did after that Nordo incident was mm -hmm. went out and I bought a handheld, 
And, oh yeah, handheld radio, uh, and I yeah. bought a good handheld with you know with jacks and everything, and it was like so um, you know so that's always charged up and you know and, and with me as well. But um, you know that when the when the G fives you know when I had my primary six pack still on battery power, and I was you know I was in fifteen minutes of St. Pete uh, at Witted Field. They had cleared the field for me, and and um, you know and but just having your airspeed and those basic instruments, uh, you know. That was well worth the G5 money. And then it was an alternator problem. And um, I didn't need the alternator replaced. It was just the belt and um, and a fuse, I think. $350 later, I'm back in the air. Okay, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, not too horrible. Yeah, um, yeah, because ex- repairs on airplanes can get expensive pretty quick. They can. And, and you know, and there's, there's two schools of thought. You know, you don't want to throw good money after bad. But at right. the same time, you don't want to, you don't want to, um, be cheap on safety. Right. And yeah, you don't ever want to be in the, in the air and wish you were in, on the ground. Yeah. Right. And you know, so, um, I've, you know, um, my mechanic, you know, he said, Hey, this is, you know, th- he, there was, um, something with the, the, uh, carb heat and, mm-hmm. and the carb heat door needed to be rebuilt. And then I thought, you know what, if I'm ever in icing conditions, I never right. even want to, I just want to know that thing's perfect. I'm like, rebuild it. Yeah, you don't yeah, want to have that in the back of your head. Yeah, right. It was twelve hundred bucks. Well, then, sure enough, a year later, if you look at the program on icing, um, I'm coming into DC. Did they controller descended me into the clouds? And boom, I just iced up really quickly. Oh, it's wow. a really cool video to watch. But that carb heat and that pedo heat came on, and I, I mean, I remember I pulled that carb heat, and I'm like, I don't have to worry about. It. I know that thing's working. That's and nice. um, I was in icing for about 15 minutes and then they lowered me out of it and it was all cool. It's a, it's a great program. So it's just on icing and, and it's on my channel, but it was my uh, first real, um, you know, icing event. And also um, having that peace of mind that knowing, you know, okay, that's going to work. That's going to work. Cause you're running through all these things in your head, you know, and, you know, and, and um, you know, it's well worth whatever money you spent. Now, now as a, a Cardinal, especially, you know, specifically probably your Cardinal, I mean, it's not designed, to, you know, for no icing, right? So, Correct. so, yeah. so when the airplane went into icing, I mean, did you call air traffic control? Like, how did you handle the icing situation? So, because that um, could be a real emergency really fast. Yeah, right. So they descended me. Um, I believe I was at, I was at, uh, I was at six thousand. They descended me into four thousand, and then I went into the clouds. And then the first thing I did, I looked at the temperature gauge, and it was right a little bit above zero. Mm-hmm. So I popped on my pedo heat. And then I was actually maybe about 30 miles from VKX. So I knew they'd be descending me. Well, mm-hmm. then on the radio, um, I heard Air Force Two, you're cleared. Uh, Air Force Two. <laughs> right. So Air Force Two, the vice president, the vice president, president yeah. right, right underneath, right underneath me to this waypoint that I knew where I was, where he's going to make a left turn and, and, and land at Andrews at zero one. Mm-hmm. And um, so I heard that call. So, the, so Air Force Two is right underneath me. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're not going to lower me for, you know, for a couple of Oh, minutes. yeah, yeah, you're done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, and then I would, you know, and then I'm in IMC. So I'm just really focused on the instruments. And then, um, uh, and then I looked up and there's a sheet of ice on my windshield. Oh, no. And I looked down the wings and it's all rhyme. And I looked at, you know, and I'm like, uh oh. So, um, you know, so I said, all right, uh, you know, Potomac Approach, you got to lower me. I'm icing up here. Yeah. And then he goes, stand by. And then I'm like, all right. I'm, and then I'm just literally counting to 10 because I'm going to declare an emergency. Right. You know? And meanwhile, you've got F-16s because you got Air Force 2 underneath the F-16s are going to shoot right. you down. Right. So it's really, you know, so then <laughs> you just um, send on them. 
Right, exactly. So then I was like, one, two, and then he goes, all right, two, two, one for Yankee, descend down to 2,500. And the moment I came out of the clouds, I looked up at the temperature, the ice broke up and oh, good. You know, right. came back and it was, you know, it was fine. So, um, you know, so I was just about to declare and I knew the cloud, I knew the ceilings were at about 2,500 yep. and, um, and the temperature at 2,500, I, I believe was around in the forties, you know? So oh, it, wow. It, so it, it really changed. Really yeah. yeah. Well, that's really good. Yeah. Cause you know, icing can be so disastrous so quickly for GA. Right. These GA airplanes, you know, you know, they're, they're, they only got 150, 200 horsepower, 250 horsepower, depending on what you're flying. Yeah. And um, like, what's the 177? What's the Cardinal? Is it a? It's well, about... I've got 150 horsepower in my okay. in mine with a power flow on it, so it's about 150 to 170 horsepower. Okay. I mean, so you you get these airplane, you know, 170 horsepower. You know, that controller, if he didn't let you descend, if you had rhyme icing, it might be hard to climb. Um, oh no, you know? I couldn't climb. Yeah, yeah. Was, I I wouldn't been able to climb. I mean, it was just. It wasn't critical yet, but literally, I, I said I'm going to count to ten and then declare, and then I got to two and. Um, you know, in my head. And then I was like, uh, you know, and then he just descended me and I was like, all right. Um, yeah. And that's actually really important for people to hear because like, if somebody is like, if they're a student pilot, like, I don't care. Like, let's say you're on, you're a student pilot, you're doing your solo cross country. Okay. First of all, if you got yourself into a situation like that, shame on you and your, your instructor for, <laughs> for letting you fly in a situation that was undangerous, you know, dangerous. But, but things, it could also it could pop up. And that's yeah. the one thing with weather in the fall and the spring in the winter, it will pop up. And yep. from my sailing experience, you know, I, 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 you know, I spent years, you know, uh, as a bareboat charter instructor and everything, weather pops up. Yep. It just, you don't have any control of it. So, but in the end you have to be, you fly that airplane, air traffic control isn't sitting next to you. They're there to help you. And right. so, you know, if you need to do something for the safety of you, you do it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you deal with, you know, and again, you just, I have never once heard after after control, like do anything that wasn't in the pilot's best interest when the pilot asked for it. I've never heard it. Um, I've heard, I've heard air traffic control yell at somebody, you know, when they weren't doing something right. I got yelled at in New York one time. Um, <laughs> I, I misread, a, I misread a departure, you know, procedure. And I started to turn when they were expecting me to go straight. And yeah. uh, the guy caught it really quick because they don't get a lot of 182 pilots flying in you know New York Class B, and so they were yeah. watching me. And he's like, "Where do you think you're going? Turn left." Yeah. <laughs> right with the hat. What do you think you're doing here? I, you, yeah, I, right. I, I need you to go straight. What are you talking about? You listen to me. <laughs> and, at, and at first, I was like, I didn't know what I did wrong, so I was so confused, you know. <laughs> but yeah. um, it, but when I got on the ground and I called him and I said, "What did I do?" And he told me, and I'm like, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, but but even then they laugh and you know the air traffic controllers. Just people that are listening, if you're if you're gonna go become a student pilot, just know that yes, it seems like there's this stress. Like I'm like this pilot, and there's this authority figure in air traffic control. They are your friends. They are there they, to and, help and they, you. And they actually work for you. Right. Yeah. So that's the one. And the, the one thing is that a lot of people, myself included, were really freaked out about, get freaked out about, you know, radio comms. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a program on my channel where uh, what really helped me was that I, um, I started doing it when I drove. Okay. So, um, you know, so, uh, and it's, um, uh, what I did is I put on liveatc.net, you know, pumped mm -hmm. it through the Bluetooth. And then I just put myself in traffic. And then I just navigated through traffic and I was just repeating the radio calls just so okay. I could get my brain used to, you know, talking and driving. And mm -hmm. 
that helped me tremendously. Um, you know, and um, you know, and as I've you know, as I've uh, you know, flown more and more, um, I'm very comfortable on the radio. And um, you know, I um, I think a couple of times I've actually joked around with controllers when it's been you know when it's been kind of quiet, right. um, you know. But yeah, they're they work for you. They're there to help you. Um, never be intimidated, and also it's okay to say, "All right, I got a problem." Right. And if that problem's you're over your head or you're behind the airplane, tell them because a lot of these controllers are pilots, right? And they will. You know, I had a friend actually um, who made a. Uh, an off airport landing, she, um, you know, she just lost power. I think at like 2,800 feet and she put the plane down on a highway wow. and, um, yeah. And I mean, but the controller was just amazing. And, um, you know, she called the controller afterwards and thanked her, but you know, the, the controller was like, all right, you got a road off to your left here. Is there anybody on there? She goes, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do the road. And, um, you know, they, they lost contact, but she called them afterwards and or she called her afterwards and, the controller was just, you know, just amazing. And, um, you know, and getting other pilots to, you know, find out, and, you know, make sure she was safe and stuff like that. And they, they do work for you. They're, they're your friends. So never be afraid of it. Um, if you're afraid of talking on the radio, just practice, listen to ATC.net and just practice those radio calls um, and then do it when you're driving. Mm -hmm. That's a really good session. I'm actually going to try that. I've never, I've never tried that before. You know, the other thing too is, is you kind of already said it, but like you get and make sure you talk to the controller sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, these controllers, you know, yes, we hear them doing the normal day to day call outs like every day, every minute, but these folks are trained to handle the emergencies. And so we, you know, and so when you declare an emergency, these people are professionals. Like, yeah. like even if you're in a bad way and you know, they're going to, you know, they can, they can start the, you know, the police, the fire department, they can start air, you know, they can start like um, civil air patrol. They can say, you know, if you're going into the woods, um, mm -hmm. they can start search and rescue. They have the ability to start a lot of things. Um, and if you and I, get I don't them think earlier, a lot of people realize that for every pilot in the air, there's like three or four people on the ground just right. for that one plane. And the, the support staff that you have at your fingertips is really amazing, you know, and, um, you know, they're there to help you. Um, and, and they do They're these guys are, you know, these guys are amazing. I, I, I know a lot of them through, um, you know, through work. And, uh, so, uh, you know, and, and the stories that I hear of these guys, you know, just basically saving lives, you know, um, all the time, it's just fabulous. Yeah. You know, the other thing too, um, I don't see a lot of people do this, but I do recommend it. You can't do it right now because of COVID, but hopefully when life turns, you know, somewhat back to normal, um, you know, they have tower tours and uh -huh. a lot of times the FAA controllers will have little, you know, little picnic days, you yep. know, come meet the controllers. And I so recommend that because when Absolutely. you get a face, when you get the face with the voice, you know, and you're like, oh, okay. You, the aviation, like you said earlier, aviation is a small community and, you know, you hear, you know, Jimmy, you know, or Susan, you know, on, on the radio and it, it almost is comforting. It's like, you know, okay, well, Susan's working today. Susan, Susan's got her eyes on me, you know, as opposed to some like, you know, FAA government official person, you know? And right. And there's like, I fly a lot, I fly a lot around the Tampa uh, class, you know, class Bravo airspace around here. And there's this English controller. I don't know his name. I call him Rockstar. Okay. This guy is amazing. I mean, he's amazing. And he has this dry sense of humor. And, um, you know, and he's just, but I've seen him hand, I've heard him handle multiple, multiple 
you know, GA traffic along with the, you know, with the mm -hmm. commercial traffic that's going into TPA. And uh, he cleared me once to go to do the Tampa, Tampa transition from the Gulf uh, over Tampa, uh, over Tampa 927 and then up, uh, you know, turn me north up to Zephyr Hills where I was going. I had never done that before. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so he's like, all right, 221 for Yankee. I need you to make a right turn 090 and tell me when you've got uh, runway uh, runway uh, nine inside at Tampa International. And I'm like, I'm not going to Tampa International. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm going to Zephyr Hills. He goes, I know that, but I'm clearing you for the Tampa transition. If you are unfamiliar with that, let me know. And I'm like, I'm unfamiliar with that. He goes, and then he's really cool. He goes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you're going to, I'm going to clear you over. I think it was maybe 2,000, 2,200 feet or whatever, but uh, I'm going to clear you. You're going to fly right over 927 at Tampa International. Then I'm going to turn you north and you're going to go right under Zephyr Hills. It's going to save you time. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know about that. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, so it was really, uh, but the, the professional uh, you know, the professionalism of these guys and the safety, uh, you know, that safety first, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, you know, mode of operating is, is just, you know, is spectacular. You know, they're, they're, they're your friends. They're, you know, they're here to help you and they work for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, you know, one of the things in aviation, a lot of people don't realize this, you know, and some people say, well, you know, they shouldn't have this. I, I totally disagree with it is that we have the NASA form, right? So, Yes. Even if you do something, listen, we're all human. We all make mistakes. I don't care. You know, I always get mad when something really bad happens in aviation and, you know, it turns out the pilot did something, you know, and people are like, how could that happen? If you were a pilot, you'd understand how these things happen. <laughs> you know, we're all human. And, and it, you know, that's why you have, my opinion, that's why you have two people in the airplanes and commercial airlines. It's not so much that you need two people to fly that airplane. It's so that you have two people. So if one person makes a mental mistake, the other person hopefully catches it. Right, um, exactly. But um, you know, but we're in these airplanes by ourselves, and so really, our co-pilot is the FAA. It is that air traffic controller. Um, so you know, so so and the one thing that you can do in air in uh, general aviation, uh, in actually commercial aviation as well, you can declare, "Holy cow, I messed up," mm -hmm. and you can just you know, and as if long as we have that honesty as yeah. a professional, you know, even if you're a, a civilian aviator, when you're in that airplane, you're a professional, right? Right. So um, you have to treat it that way. And so I'm, I, you know, so anybody, again, going back to the student pilots, a lot of people that listen to these, these uh, podcasts are going to be students. So, or people want to go into flying. So if you ever get into a situation, even if you're a student pilot, you're on a solo someplace, don't feel like if you call air traffic control and say, I'm lost, I don't know where I am. I got, you know, there's clouds underneath me. I can't figure out how to get underneath it. Don't worry about it. Like, don't yeah, even worry about getting in trouble. Out. And I'll tell you a story what happened to me on my first cross country solo when I was uh, getting my private. I was going from, um, uh, uh, it was uh, Dare County, um, uh, Dare County in North Carolina, and I was going up to Williamsburg. And I was just going to stop, refuel, and turn around and come back. Well, I get up to Williamsburg and I can't, I can't find the airport. And I'm looking right. at my iPad and I see it's right there, but I was actually directly over it, you know. <laughs> so the airplane was and blocking it. So I could, you know, I'm looking around and I'm directly over it. So I see this airport off to my left, and I'm like, oh, that must be it. So I take a left turn and I'm heading to the, this airport, and then something didn't feel right. Well, that airport, because I looked at the airport and the runway was just spectacular, brand new, crisp and clean. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, this is this doesn't, you know. And then the airport's like off in the woods. And I'm like, what? There's no roads. What's going on? <laughs> that airport was Camp Perry, which is the CIA oh, training ground. Oh, that would have been bad. 
And I was like, I was like preparing to land that little 150 there, right? And I'm like, wait. And I looked on my iPad, I'm like, oh my God, it's Camp Perry. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, and, um, you know, and uh, I, I turned back. And then when I turned around, made the 180, I'm like, oh, there's Williamsburg. It happens. Yeah. You know, it, it happens. Things happen. And I've, um, you know, I've, uh, you know, I've still been at 700 hours. I've still, you know, come into airports where I, you know, I'm three or four miles from it. And I can't see it, yep. you know, just for whatever reason. So, um, you know, I've told the controller, yeah, I don't really have it in sight yet, um, but why don't you just send me? And then on the on the 335, you had that visual approach feature that I use all the time. Yep. You know, that'll, you know, give you a, you know, give you a glide slope and, lo uh, you know, localizer to, um, you know, line up with a line up with the runway. So, uh, but it happens. And um, that's what they're there for. They're, they're there to help you. Yeah, not to waste your time. Um, there was one time, a similar story. We had... Um where I was flying, I'm not going to say where it was, but um, they had a little airport, which I was flying into, and it was, it was a GPS approach. Um, and then about six miles away from it, so really close, was a Class C airport, relatively busy Class C airport. And so it came out of the clouds, and the little tiny airport, its lights were horrible. Yeah. And so my eyes caught the rabbit on the bigger airport. Yeah, And so I was like, oh, so I, I figured now I'm not flying a, a really fancy airplane. I don't have glass cockpit. I don't have anything like that. I just had the little needle. And so I thought, well, oh, maybe my, maybe my thing is off. So I, so I just jumped over <laughs> to, yeah. to the other, to the, to go, like, oh, you know, there's the runway. So I can see it now. So I jumped over and, um, and so the air traffic controller called back and said, Hey, just FYI, you're on an approach for runway two five at this airport. And I yeah. said, Oh, that's not where I'm landing. He goes, no, that's not where you're landing. <laughs> so, I, so um, you know, so every time somebody hears those uh, those stories of the pilots landing at the, the wrong airports, it, cap it, it happens. happens. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. And it's, you know, and it is um, the work. A lot of people don't realize that the workload, even in a general aviation aircraft could, you know, could, you know, could get high at some point, you know, and, and um, uh, there's a lot, you know, my, my instructor told me two things that have stayed with me when I was getting my private ticket is that she said, number one, there's a lot going on in an airplane. Mm -hmm. And number two is the airplane knows more about flying than you do. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, so, so Ted, as we wrap up here, so I had so many other things I want to talk to you about. So I think, I definitely think we should do this uh, thing at Oshkosh. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I'm going to start well, emailing people. Any air show, you know? Yeah. 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 Sun and fun. It'd be easier for you <laughs> down in Florida. Right. So now yeah. do you, are you, do you, you're based out of Virginia, but are you, do you live in Florida? I'm I'm back and forth between DC and Florida. Okay. So right now, um, you know, we're all teleworking at work, yeah. and um, you know, and I and I could, uh, you know, I could, I could live down. I have a little condo in Tampa, and um, you know, so I can stay there. I'm right near Zephyr Hills. I love that little mm -hmm. airport. So uh, my plane's there, and um, uh, you know, so I'm going to spend the winter down here. Um, and I'm really not a fan of the cold anymore. And I think as I think I've got maybe three and a half years before I can transition out of the government. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I'm starting my mission work and starting, you know, to fly more and I'll be taking more time off to do that. Um, and hopefully being, you know, being uh, transitioned to full-time telework, mm -hmm. uh, because this is really where I want to be with my, you know, mission aviation work. Um, I want to get into more of a, a I plan on upgrading my plane uh, in 2021. So I want to plan on doing a lot more um, angel flight type of, you know, medical transport and personnel transport. 
uh, to people who just need to get around, whether it be East Coast or Florida, um, and um, you know, and focus on that as I as I transition out of the government. But I'll still be making multimedia. I love, you know, I love where I work. I love the people I work for, and um, uh, and uh, you know, it's um, you know, and I love what I do. It's you know, it's not. It's certainly not work at all. And you don't hear a lot of people say that about their jobs. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you have a job that you do love. So yeah. I think that we hear, I think we hear where you're going, but now when you start the missionary flying and uh, the mission flying, are, are, are you going to be uh, putting it up on your channel or are you going to keep your channel more towards? I, I'm going to, um, I may put some of it on. I mean, I think that the channel is, um, I really want to focus on encouraging people mm -hmm. Uh, who are our age to get in and get it, get up, get in and get up in the air. Right. Um, and I want to just, you know, Hey, this is how much an annual costs. This is, this is a problem I had. I just want to share my adventures and answer those questions and really, you know, alleviate those fears, everything from, you know, how do you communicate on the radio to, um, you know, to, you know, um, what happens to my annual cost too much, um, you know, flying with kids, planning cross countries um, and uh, you know, little things, what, you know, replacing door seals. So um, I want to keep that channel just there to encourage folks to, um, you know, to get in there and say, yeah, you can, you can do this in this chapter of your life very effectively. You can do it very professionally or whatever that mission is that you want to do, whether you just want to get your private ticket and go out for hundred dollar hamburgers and take family members, or if you, uh, some guy called me a while ago and uh, he owns a couple of restaurants and he's like, you know, I, I'm driving all over Florida. He's got restaurants in like uh, Tallahassee and some in Destin and some in Tampa and a couple of Miami. And he's like, I'm driving all over. And I'm like, yeah, you certainly right. could spend the next two years in flight training um, but get yourself a decent airplane like a Sirius or a Columbia, mm -hmm. and you can get up to the point where now instead of driving, you're flying between your restaurants and right. you can easily do that. So whatever your mission is, and, and if you want to be a missionary pilot, and, and you can even at 50 and over 50, you could get a job flying. Right. I've actually been offered two jobs um, that I, was, I really seriously considered. Um, but I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to work that hard, you know, <laughs> right, right. I mean, but, um, one place I know that we're hiring was Tropic Ocean Air before COVID. Um, I strongly considered applying. Um, I have my commercial, I have my seaplane rating. Um, you know, I have 700 hours and I was like, you know what, I think I could do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you can get a job, you can get a job for, um, you know, for, uh, air ambulance companies yep. and it's possible. And Nancy Bradshaw you know, is, a, is a, a fantastic encouragement example about that because, uh, you know, the regional that she was working for let her go. And next thing you know, she's flying a 7-4 around. Pretty cool. Yeah, she went from, I'll tell you what, I don't usually do this, but if, if, if you know, on the show notes, um, underneath your link, I'll throw Nancy's link. Um, uh, and I'll also throw a card. Let's see if I have the right direction here, a card. <laughs> um, I'll throw a card up here on the YouTube thing. Uh, you can click because we did actually just speak with Nancy a couple weeks ago. So you can watch her uh, her guest host uh, interview. Um, but yeah, she went from a 50 seat regional, you know, um, airliner and it was Express Jet. And yeah. so Express Jet has actually closed. So those of us that fly American Airlines a lot, there's no more Express Jet. Um, and so she didn't get furloughed like the company actually closed. 
And so, you know, so bad, bad, bad. The aviation industry is just taking it on the nose and everybody, you know, student, everybody talks about the, the pilots, but everybody, you know, the baggage handlers, the, you know, the people, that, um, you know, the stewardesses and the stewards yeah. inside the airplane. Um, you know, it's been horrible. So, but she kept working. She put that grind in and she, she jumped from a 50 seater little puddle jumper you know, to, to one of the largest airplanes ever made in man. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, you know, the thing is with, in, you know, when she, you know, she texted me and I literally pulled my car over, I pulled into this bank parking lot. And I was, I was like, Nancy, I'm so excited for you. you know? And I called her and I was like, Oh, I was just so thrilled for her. But the airline industry will recover and right. the airline industry will reinvent itself. Right. So we are going through a dip right now. The whole planet is going through a dip. But, you know, we remember what happened in 2000 and then 2008 with the financial yep. crisis. And then, you September know, the 11. Internet, yep. remember when the Internet bubble popped? You know, I had an Internet company back then and, you know, we thought it was all over. We're all doomed, you know, and but all these new businesses came out of it. They, you know, so. So the airline industry will recover. If you are a pilot right now, do not stop because right. of this momentary dip. Keep on going because I personally think that um, the, there there will be a bunch of air Ubers coming mm -hmm. out um, under a, a 135 operation that not a lot of people want to fly commercially anymore. And myself included, I, I, I just don't plan on getting a, in a commercial jet unless I actually have to. I got my own plane. Right. Um, but um, you know, so there will be all these other industries that are going to pop up over the next few years. And um, I'm really excited to see what that's going to happen, because after every dip in our planet's history, right. we've come back, we've Stronger. reinvented ourselves. And, you know, and um, it's going to be it's going to be better than it was before. So don't get disheartened and, oh, you know, negative about it, because, you know, that, you know, that's just a bad option. Yeah. And I say this all the time. Um I think that if you're somebody that is just starting your path, if you want to become a commercial pilot, um, and I saw, I've talked to so many people and they're like, oh, this, this was a horrible choice. I should get out. I'm like, you're insane. I'm Absolutely. like, this is the best time to be starting this because you're at the base. And so yeah. a lot of people have left aviation. A lot of pilots have gone into other jobs yeah. because they have, they have the house payment. They've got the kids, they've got college, yeah. they've got whatever they've got. Um, and so they went to another job. And so there was, you know, I don't know how, how real it was or wasn't depending on the industry, but you know, there was very much talk about the big pilot shortage prior to yeah. COVID and that pilot shortage didn't go away. And exactly. we, ju we just stopped, we just stopped the demand, right? Yeah. The you know, we still have a supply issue and, uh, but we lowered the, the demand when COVID we get back to normal, it's going to slowly come back up again. The same way it did after September 11th, same way it right. did after the 2008s. And, and we are going to have a loss of pilots. Um, right. And, and also, you know, cargo is just increasing. I mean, right. you know, um, you know, so Amazon has these big jets, but also <laughs> they're going to have smaller carriers. So I think there's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be so many opportunities. And then I, um, I used to sell yachts when, um, you know, when I was uh, a classroom teacher and, um, you know, that's something that people could do in our, you know, at our age too, because once you're a pilot and you got a little bit of sales skill, you could go sell airplanes yep. and, you know, there's nothing wrong with selling a two or $300,000 item when you get a piece of commission on it and, you know, and <laughs> right. it's an airplane, something you love. So, um, you know, there's so many opportunities to do that. You just kind of got to step on the gas and, and, um, 
you know, keep those, I, I read one book about, um, you know, in, in life, the border blockers, the border bullies, you know, when you're, when you're transitioning from one part of life to another, and you're going from one area to another, keep those naysayers out of the way, Yeah. step on the gas more. and go yeah. forward because uh, you can do it. And Nancy Bradshaw is a perfect example of that. And, um, you know, if I could, if I at 50, I'll be 58 in January, in February, you know, you know, I wanted to have a thousand hours by the time I was 58. Mm. Um, you know, I'm close. I'm 700, you know. Yep. Um, so I, I can easily probably January 2020, I can have my thousand hours. J January 2022, I can have my thousand hours. Well, if you're looking to blow some hours, come pick me up in Greenville. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go. We'll go. Have a, we can. We'll go. You're used to being in the D.C. Uh, special VFR. So. We can, uh, we'll go fly down to um, uh, IED and we'll go check out the, the museum. So <laughs> absolutely. That would be a really cool program. Actually. Let's plan on that. Dude, let's do it. I'm in, I'm in yeah. now, like I said, I'm six. Now I've lost a little bit of weight now, but uh, I am six, eight and I'm still about two ninety. So you gotta, we have to put a little bit of fuel out of the wing, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, 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 uh, but I'm down. All right, man. Hey, listen, um, I've, I've kept you long. So I, I really do appreciate you, uh, you know, sticking in with us and, uh, I mean, I have so many more questions I wanted to talk to you about. So maybe in the future, um, you know, you think about maybe come back on again. Absolutely. Anytime, you know, feel free to reach out. I'd love to talk in and, um, you know, and, and if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if your listeners and viewers mm -hmm. uh, have questions, just reach out to me at over 50 and learning to fly at gmail.com and, um, you know, or leave a comment in on the channel. And, um, you know, I'll, uh, you know, be more than happy to, you know, to talk, reach out, do whatever I can do. And then, um, you know, uh, you know, keep on, keep on stepping on the gas on what I'm doing. It's awesome. Man, I love it. Yeah. It's a small community and you like so many of the other, you know, folks that, um, uh, we hear and see you're so approachable, um, you know, to, to, to the community and, uh, you know, as a member of that community, thank you for that. So oh, you're it's a pleasure. All right. Well, Ted, I think I'm going to let you go. And uh, again, thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Talk to you later. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. So that was our guest host today with uh, Ted Greenfield and um, just, just really a down to earth person. And I think that anybody that's interested in aviation, you're going to find that over and over again. Um, you know, the community itself is really warm and enveloping and, uh, and, and Ted is a good example of that. Um, so in Ted, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but uh, you know, Ted actually works with the FAST team um, on aviation safety. And so Ted really kind of does live this life. Um, so definitely go check out his channel. I'll put a link down below to it. And with that, I hope you all had a great time. Um, if you are looking to find out more information about Civil Air Patrol, uh, you can go visit gocivilairpatrol.com. Um, if you wanted more information or content, you can reach out to me. Um, I, I do my best to make sure I respond to everybody that comments as well. Uh, our Twitter um, is Aeros, at aerospace underscore live. Um, and if you wanna watch these or listen to these, uh, if you're if you're gonna exercise and go on those three mile walks like Ted's talking about, you can throw, throw us up on the podcast and it's aerospace-live is the podcast. And uh, our kind of our home base here is uh, on YouTube, which is a slash Robert Roberts, or you can just search for aerospace education, and you'll see this beautiful face um, pop up. So with that, I hope you all have an awesome day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everyone.